0: Our Father, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven,
1: on earth as it is in heaven. Welcome back to On the Ground with Samaritan's Purse, a podcast taking you to the front lines and behind the scenes of our work around the world. I'm your host, Christy Graham. This will be a special episode based around the power of prayer. A few weeks ago, I was able to attend a prayer march in Washington, D.C. It truly was a powerful sight to see thousands of believers coming together for one purpose, to pray. They didn't come to be entertained or receive anything, but just to corporately walk over our nation's capital and pray. There were seven strategic prayer stops along the walk, and we prayed with a different focus at each one. From praying for our military, police, and law enforcement at the World War II Memorial, to praying for compassion, kindness, and racial reconciliation at the National Museum of African American History and Culture, it was a powerful time to pray for our nation and its leaders. This prayer focus reminded us that prayer and dependence on the Lord has always been the foundation in the ministry of Samaritan's Purse. It's how we start our day. Each day, staff members, whether you work at the headquarters in Boone or one of our field offices across the globe, our staff gathers to pray and read God's Word. As I reflected on the prayer march and my time in D.C., I wanted to take some time to look back and just a few of the ways that God has answered prayer, whether it's corporately in the ministry or individually with a specific need. Paul David Tripp says in his devotion, New Morning Mercies, True prayer happens at the intersection of surrender and celebration. I love this quote because it's a reminder that we as believers, we must surrender our lives, our hopes, and our plans to God. And the second piece is celebrating, worshiping, rejoicing. We need to look back and celebrate the way that God has transformed us and remember His faithfulness. We'll link the full devotion in our show notes, but today we want to celebrate the many prayers that God has answered some that we didn't even know how to really ask for. I was personally encouraged as I heard testimony after testimony of ways that the God Room principle has played out in real life. We've talked about it before on the podcast, but God Room is a phrase that our founder, Bob Pierce, said when he talked about seeing a need that is bigger than our human abilities to meet it. You accept that need, and you trust God to bring the finances and the materials to meet the need. Today, we're going to talk about answered prayer and the God Room principle. I was able to sit down with Ken Isaacs to hear his perspective of seeing God move for over 32 years in the ministry. We were both taking precaution and wearing masks, so our voices are slightly muffled, but I know you'll be encouraged to hear his stories and testimonies looking back at the ministry. So can you talk to me? Over your 32 years of ministry with Samaritan's Purse, you have seen God move in the power of prayer. Um, let's go back to 1993. I know you were involved in the beginning of Operation Christmas Child. Yeah. No one would have ever dreamed that no. it would have come to where it is now. No. How was your team praying then?
0: <laughs> <laughs> so um, in 1993, the first year of Operation Christmas Child, um, we, we had these boxes. We had about um, 11,700 boxes is the number that's in my mind. And we took them to Croatia and we were trying to help and bless children in Bosnia. We were trying to make sense of it all. And um, uh, we were just praying really for the same thing that we're praying now. God, open a door for us and we'll go through it. God, um, what do you want us to do with these things? And through that season and the following year, we started developing our thinking about praying for the child that would get the box, even though we didn't know who the child would be. The entire program started out to be a ministry to children, primarily in Sarajevo. That's what it started out to be. Dr. Ross Rhodes promoted it at his church, and uh, he had me come down on that Sunday that we collected all the boxes. And the administrator of the church called me after uh, Dr. Rhodes had sort of held a box up two weeks earlier on a Sunday service and said, you know, would you please pack a box like this? We want to take it and give it to the children in Bosnia. And uh, what, you know, we didn't anticipate was on that Sunday that he did that, his service was broadcast by the Bible Broadcasting Network all across the country. We never anticipated a single box to be mailed in. We did not anticipate it. So what, in my human constraints as sort of the logistician trying to figure out how to execute this newly emerging plan in which there was no template. He had about 3,500 people in his church, and I figured, well, if we get about a third of the people would make a box, that'll be about 1,200 boxes, and 1,200 boxes will be like four pallets in an airplane. So this guy named Gene called me a week and a half after Dr. Rhodes presented it to the congregation. And he was terse. He told me he was the administrator for um, Calvary Baptist Church. And he wanted to know why I hadn't notified him about the UPS trucks. And I said, I, I don't understand. What are you talking about? What UPS trucks? He said, there are like three UPS trucks here right now. And they're mad at me because you didn't tell me that they were coming. And I said, well, I don't, I don't even know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. So I got in a car and drove down to Charlotte. And at that time, he probably had 4,000 boxes had come in by UPS. And um, they had a little half-sized gymnasium. And that half-sized gymnasium was nearly half full up to about four feet high. I was shocked. I mean, I really, I was shocked. I was like, where do these boxes come from? Mm -hmm. And um, uh, we ended up with 11,700 boxes Mm -hmm. and... uh, uh, so, Ross Rhodes had me come down to church on that Sunday. I, I went down in a big truck, and, you know, and we were going to bring these boxes back here. We figured it out. I mean, we hadn't done this before. It was all new. And, um, but I, I thanked everybody, and I said, we need help. You know, w- would some of you please come and help in the gymnasium? There were like over 300 people that came and helped. I had never seen anything as electric mm-hmm. as, as that initial season. I'd never seen anything stir the hearts of people that way. And that was really sort of the beginning of the collection of the normalizing, the standardizing of people that are involved in OCC. And I've no doubt that many of them are involved uh, to this day. So, you know, what we thought we were going to do to help children in Sarajevo, and Bosnia, God had another plan for it. heard a story about a young boy
2: that uh, was in a sub-Saharan African country. And when he received his gift box, he began to cry. Uh, That's just not something that we see very often at a distribution event. And so uh, the church got close to him and thought, well, gosh, we'll just change this box out. Then they saw what was in it. It was ski gloves. And so they thought, oh, I know why he's crying. He's got ski gloves for winter skiing. And he's in a climate that's 100 degrees every day, and he's disappointed. And so they spoke to the boy and said, listen, we're going to change this for you. We're going to get rid of this. We're going to get you something that you like better. He says, no, you don't understand. He said, my family works to make a living. We sell food on the roadside. And so mom, her job is to cook it in this giant copper pot. And then dad, his job is to serve it out to the people. And he said, and my job is to go up and get that big pot off of the fire and carry it to dad. And he said, so that's why my arms are so burned and scarred. And he said, so these gloves are just such an answered prayer because now I won't burn myself when we work. And so for me, that was one of the most unbelievable ways I saw God answer prayer specifically just for a child, even for somebody to give winter ski gloves to a child in sub-Saharan Africa.
0: And you look at that program today, Mm -hmm. 10, 11 million boxes a year. I don't know how many millions of children have gone through the discipleship program. And so God has used it in a way and multiplied it that none of us could have imagined. We never could have imagined it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he's done the same with Nam. Uh, You know, as we're talking today, Hurricane um, uh, Delta, I -hmm. think, Mm -hmm. is is getting ready to land down in Louisiana and Texas and do damage down there. Nobody imagined that we would have a nationwide, well-organized, highly equipped, well-trained that we could respond to disasters all across the United States. Mm -hmm. We can respond, you know, to floods and to hurricanes and to tornadoes. We probably have 12,
3: 15, 20,000 volunteers. Who would have thought? God. That's where, in 1997, we started uh, building a trailer and equipped it with tools, built an office in it. Uh, Several volunteers came on on board to help us. And I remember uh, Ken Isaacs, in 1998, a flood happened in Victoria, Texas. And he called me. He said, go get it dirty. And that was his first maiden deployment. And we took it out and really didn't have a structure in place. And, you know, you keep praying, Lord, if this is something you want us to be involved in, help it to be something that's not only meeting a physical need, but most importantly, impacting your kingdom. So from one tractor trailer and uh, two pickups, I think um, as we keep praying, God, if we're doing the right thing, just keep increasing our capacity, helping us to see how we can do it better. So I tell people that it has been the prayer of Jabez where he has enlarged our territory. That now we can go multiple places at the same time with the same bandwidth that we have, and also the fishes and loaves. So from one tractor, trailer, and two pickup trucks, we have now grown to a fleet of over 370 vehicles. We have eight disaster relief trailers in the United States, three in Canada, and one in Australia. And I mean, you look back uh, in 1997, would I have seen that vision if Kenny said, I want a 10-year business plan? But we've had a God room plan on that one. That has been God increasing our capacity. That from that day, from that year, we had 50 volunteers that first year. And I was like, wow, we've been busy. But this past year, we've had over 15,000 volunteers out. And we have surpassed 181,000 volunteers that have come out. I mean, you roll all this together, it's it's the ingredients to success that God has put there, the volunteers, the equipment, the donations to do the work. And the disasters, I don't consider them part of the ingredients, but they are happening more frequently than ever before. We've already responded 25 times this year. And it's God using us and expanding our borders and letting us go. But I feel God is blessing us because we're staying faithful that we're not only just there to meet humanitarian needs, we're there to meet spiritual needs. We're there to plant those seeds and uh, see God magnified in everything that we do. So from that initial day to now, I mean, we have seen over 3,000 decisions for Christ. And that's one-on-one evangelism. And uh, I just thank God for every volunteer that comes. Thank God for every opportunity that we've had. And um, looking back, it's easy to see this has been God. This is nothing that we have done on our own. We just needed to be faithful,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and we need to commit what we're doing to the Lord of prayer. And that's what we do, and God answers it in ways that is truly reflective of His miraculous power and grace. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, that's why we want—it's good to look back, you know, and like you said, to see what God's done to give Him the glory and the praise. But I think— By doing that, the obedience, it flexes muscles. You know, it's a muscle that we have to use. Yes. And obedience and faith. And you think, I think of the verse, you know, faith as small as a mustard seed, you can move mountains. Like, we, it just requires faith and a soft heart for God to move. And like you said, he may not answer the prayer we want, uh, but that's why we have to pray, your will be done, you know, not mine, just like Jesus modeled that, you know. Um, So, over time, Samaritan's Purse employees, because I know they start their day with prayer, You've watched people pray. You've got down on your knees with people in times of desperation where you really couldn't do it. And God has flexed and used those muscles to prepare you for things you never would have saw coming. So I think back now to Kent Brantley, you know, a time where one of our doctors got sick with Ebola. And I know you walked through that whole process. And I love how his dad said after he was healed, he told his family, we're going to give God glory and praise. You know, shame on us if we, we watch this prayer be answered and not use it for his glory. So can we take a minute to talk through that in a time where you watched ministry truly think someone was going to die and you prayed in yeah. dark hours?
0: So, um, you know, the um, event that happened with the bull in Liberia in 2014, we did not go there seeking to get involved in Ebola. It was the last thing we wanted to to do. In fact, we had avoided it. So up in the northern part of the country, there was a a community called FOIA, F-O-Y-A, and uh, we had a series of programs up there. We were doing clean water and nutrition, you know, malnutrition treatment for children and things like that. And, So that's a little clinical, you know, when you start bringing the kids in and you do the upper arm circumference. And if they're symptomatic, you have to treat them. So, you know, we had some things going on up there. And uh, all of a sudden, Ebola was was there. And we were put into a place where everybody had left the country that could get out. And so we were put into a place where our compound and our uh, staff were at the um, uh, the hospital there in Liberia, the um, SIM hospital. And we couldn't leave. We ethically, we, I mean, how could we have medical personnel not help? So we, we built the first little Ebola clinic. And um, I think it was in a chapel and had, had like five beds. <clears throat> and Dr. Brantley, was the, you know, we titled him the medical director of the Ebola treatment clinic. And um, within just a matter of days, that one was full. And they came back and asked us to build another one. So we set another one up, and it seems like we had about 20 beds in it. Mm -hmm. Then that one was full and you can feel even from a distance the fire starting to rage you know when you're in the command center and and things are coming in and uh so the team was under enormous enormous pressure and then on july the 26th of 2014 the uh positive test came back for kent and nancy the same morning and so now everybody's devastated it's like you know, the medical director. And uh, so he's got to isolate in the house alone. And everybody, anybody that goes in to see him, you know, has got to be fully dressed in PPE, no millimeter of skin showing. And so it was very tough on him and it was tough on the team. Uh, Enormous prayer support was going up for him. of, Of course here, we were all praying here. We were praying in individual offices. We were praying corporately. Um, and, and I'm sure you know he has um, friends in his church. You know that we don't know about and in a series of churches, medical school. All of the, you know. I think there were thousands and thousands of people praying for him. And <clears throat> we look back on that, and there were miracles that happened specifically in Kent and Nancy's life that I believe saved their lives. And one of them, this is a weird. But it shows you a way where that God answers prayer that nobody anticipates. But um, Phoenix Air, uh, we made the connection, and um, it seemed like it was on a Tuesday night that um, they took off. And, and they flew out over the Atlantic, and they had a problem with the airplane. And they called me about 2.30 uh, in the morning from um, their office in Georgia and said, we have to bring the plane back. It's got a a pressure problem in the cabin. And I got irate with the man. And I said, you can't bring the plane back. I said, you've got to go get him. He- he'll die. Mm-hmm. And um, he said, I understand that, sir. He was very respectful. He said, I understand that. Mm-hmm. And um, and I kept pushing on him. But he said, listen, you, you don't want a plane with a pressure uh, problem in the cabin mm-hmm. with a critically ill patient. That's not what you want. So what we didn't know I wasn't aware of that the medicine, the ZMAP, that would ultimately save his life, wasn't like a single dose where they give you a shot. It was like in in three units that were frozen, you know, 20 degrees below zero or something, and they had to be infused over a three-day period of time. And each infusion was like a six- or eight-hour event. It was was a long process. It's not just an event, you know, with a shot. So... There was a period where Kent was feeling better. He had made the decision that Nancy was, had more years on her and let her have the medicine. And then he crashed and he crashed on a Thursday night. And um, they went and actually took that medicine. They had put it alongside the bed of Nancy for her body heat to thaw it out. And uh, they went and took it and gave it to Kent and so what happened was they gave her the treatment to thaw it and they were going to put it in her. They took it from her and went and put it in him. Mm-hmm. And that's when he had this miraculous event happening, the, the the riggers in his body, the, the shaking. And then he got up and went and used the bathroom. The plane came that night and took him. And on the airplane, unknown to me, they brought ZMAP with them. And they had ZMAP for him at Emory University. And those other two doses kept Nancy alive until they could come back and get her. Yes, they shared it. Yes, they shared it. Yeah, the dosage was split between the two of them. Wow. And had the plane not broken down, It wouldn't have turned out the way that it did because he would have left without getting the dose that they took from Nancy that Mm -hmm. night. And then the crash that he physically experienced would have happened in the air. Mm -hmm. And that's when everybody felt darkness come over the camp Mm -hmm. there in Liberia. And um, Kendall, the country director, just came back and said, everybody, pray now. Mm -hmm. Pray now.
1: Melissa, I had a chance to talk to Ken Isaacs and hear his perspective of Ebola and the way that Tamarins first had to pray for our two doctors, our two medical workers that got sick. Now, I know you were with Kent's family and his wife, Amber, and you were with them, I believe, when they received the news that he was going to die.
4: Can you talk to me about his family and how they went to the Lord in those moments? I'll never forget when Ken Isaacs called me uh, on my cell phone and I was standing next to Amber And when I answered, he said, Kent is dying. This is it. Mm. And I need you to pass your phone to Amber. Mm. And I'm about to tell Amber that Kent is dying. And we think it's only going to be a few more hours. I handed my phone to Amber at that moment and watched her face as Ken told her that her husband was not going to make it and was holding her hand as he spoke to her. And she just fell to her knees um, with such force that it, it I fell with her. Mm-hmm. And her mother, Lisa, was sitting on the couch and she said, Amber, what's going on? What's happening? And she just said, pray, mama, just pray. We just have to pray. And the entire family immediately formed a big circle on their knees and prayed. And what struck me the most actually was Kent's mother, who uh, this was a, a small little guest house, a pool house, Uh, kind of like a studio apartment. So there was a bed um, in the room and Kent's mother, Jan, laid with a face down on the bed as everyone else was in the circle. And Kent's mother's prayer was, God, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. I'm so sorry. Now I know what it feels like to watch your son die. And I'm so sorry you had to do that for me. Mm. And I will never, as long as I live, forget what that mother prayed. She didn't pray, save his life. She didn't say this isn't fair. She didn't say he has so much more to give. We need him. All the things that you would think a mother would pray in that moment. Instead, Her prayer was about what God had done for her Mm. and the recognition of His goodness. Mm. That was her prayer. Mm. And after the family finished praying, there was silence for hours. And some of us went outside and walked. There was a a little lake. Uh, We walked on the dock. We walked around the lake. Nobody said a word. It was Nobody had anything left. We were all just waiting for the next phone call that would confirm that Kent was dead. Mm-hmm. Um, that went on for two, three hours. Hmm. And the next phone call that Amber got, she picked up the phone and she said, it's Kent, it's Kent. Hmm. And she ran into the bathroom because that was the only private space with all these people in this studio apartment. (laughs) And when she came out, she said, he's okay. Hmm. He's gonna, he's okay. Um, He's up, he's walking around and he's gonna take a shower. And that was after he had gotten the experimental medication that day that was a miracle in and of itself. But um, yeah. So it was such an incredible answer to prayer.
0: So God answers prayers. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: We are not able to know the future. We are not able to know the will of God. We're not Mm -hmm. able to know what God's plans are. His plans are mightier than our plans. Mm -hmm. Ask it in my name and I'll give it exceedingly. Mm
1: -hmm. Thank you for sharing that because I think we all think we know that story really well, but I didn't know those details. And I I think of Joseph when you say that, you know, it's like what man meant for evil, God meant for good. And it's like, even when Joseph, it said God's favor was on him and he was in prison for 12 years. And you think, well, if God's favor was on him, pull him out of there. But God had a plan and a purpose. And God wouldn't have got, Joseph wouldn't have gotten to the palace if he didn't spend time in the prison. And he wasn't faithful in the daily tasks given to him there. And I think that's what I've seen From Samaritans first, and you've been with Samaritans first for 32 years. And for you to say that, I've just seen faithfulness and obedience. And people that are on their knees praying. And, you know, Psalm 121 says, I look to God. You know, my eyes, I look up to the hills. That's where my hope comes from. And that is what I see in every staff member here. It is a reliant dependence and urgency towards prayer. And so as you're talking, I see that. That's where the tapestry has been woven to prepare us now. So can you talk to us now about 2020? Here we are in an unprecedented year. I'm tired of that word. Uncertain times. But God placed us in the epicenter of the disease. You mentioned it, Cremona, Italy, and New York City.
5: This patient has been in our hospital for about seven or eight, maybe a little longer days. He was one of the first ones to come. He arrived very, very ill. He was on high oxygen flow and we just could not maintain his oxygen saturations. And as each day went by, he struggled more and more and more. He's only 55 years old and otherwise healthy, but he was really deteriorating. We were maximizing every single option we had for medical care for him. And despite all that, he continued to deteriorate. He was literally gasping for breath and really dying before us. So one day, um, it looked like it was really a desperate situation. When I came home, I immediately sent out a, a message to every prayer warrior I know to specifically pray for this man, for healing for his lungs. All of them sent it to everyone they knew. And within an hour, I was getting messages from all over the globe. We're praying for this patient, we're praying for him, we're praying for him. And the next morning as I was donning my equipment, I prayed that the Lord would give me compassion and strength. And when I went in, I went over to him and he hadn't been communicating with us. He was so sick and so out of breath. But he took my hands and looked up at me and said, I feel better today, I have peace. It was 100% God, Jehovah Rapha, God the healer breathed peace and healing into his lungs. And where there was no way, God made a way.
0: So let me tie it back to what happened Mm. in 2014. We didn't pursue Ebola, Mm -hmm. but we were faithful to fight it to the extent that we could when we were faced with it. We went back, we made a plan, we we had to bring our team out, we went back and we got good at what is now called infection prevention and control. We went to Congo in 2018 to fight Ebola. And to do that, we established a training program to train in infection prevention and control, specifically to healthcare workers, so they know how to work in the environment without getting themselves sick. Mm -hmm. The only infectious diseases that we had ever touched before then was cholera, and that we had a brief encounter with diphtheria. It is that very knowledge that we learned that, that interested, when they saw it, the medical personnel from Mount Sinai to come across the road to our tent hospital. How are you guys, why are you guys not getting sick? Hmm. And they started seeing how we dawned, how we doffed. But when Ebola is your university,
1: mm-hmm.
0: where there was a 90% mortality rate when we learned our techniques, hmm. God equipped us, what I'm trying to say is that God equipped us for COVID through Ebola. Hmm. And when he was equipping us for Ebola, he knew COVID was coming, mm-hmm. but he equipped us for it. And that's how we're able to do what we're doing now. That's how we're able to share. It's not that we're COVID experts. It's just that we, for one thing, we went there and survived the experience. We learned something along the way, and we just go there out of faithfulness. We did the same with Ebola. So I, I see those things actually woven together in, in a way that we couldn't imagine. And uh, But who would have thought that? God. God mm-hmm. thought that. God prepared us. And, and if I look at every aspect of what we do um, in all of our ministry around the world, I mean, I, I'm, I could look in the communications department. You can look in your own life. Uh, listeners can look in their lives. Look backwards 5, 10, 15, 20 years and look where they are now and how God is using them now and mm-hmm. see how God prepared you to get here. Mm-hmm. Because when he was preparing you, he was preparing you for where you are. And what he's experiencing or what you are experiencing today, God's preparing us for something else.
1: Yeah, I think of like a, p- a puzzle, you know, a piece by itself doesn't look like anything, but peace together and through God, you know, and that's, I started in Proverbs 16 and verse 1 says, The preparation of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. You yes. know, we can prepare and be obedient and be faithful, but ultimately it's him weaving that. And so I, that's why we just want to spend an episode talking about answered prayers in the way that God has been faithful. Um, And like you said, it's not that we're seeking to get somewhere, we're just seeking to follow the Lord. Yes. But I think of so many times when Jesus healed people, he asked them, what do you want me to do for you? Even Mm -hmm. though he knew. He knew what their wants were and their desires. He wanted them to verbally say them out loud. And so you have witnessed verbal prayers being offered um, individually, but then corporately. um, And you've watched God's hand move. So that's why we just want to bring you in today.
0: If I might emphasize the importance of speed prayers. Mm. Many, many times, uh, I've been in a situation, and it could be a life and death situation, or it could be just a life and anxiety situation where I'm going into the door to meet people, and I don't even know what to say to them mm-hmm. and as I go through the door. Mm-hmm. God, give me the words right now. Mm-hmm. And um, God tell me, do I turn left or turn right, literally? There's an episode that I'm thinking about on that. And um, I think that prayer not only develops our muscle, but I think it honors God. Mm-hmm. And he does want us to verbalize it. And we may not get the answer that we want. It doesn't matter because the prayer is not about us. Mm-hmm. The prayer is about God. I think it's important that when we pray and when we ask, we trust mm-hmm. No matter what happens, we must trust.
1: Ken's mention of speed prayers reminded me of a conversation I had with a nurse, Kelly Seitz. She shared a story from her time serving in Haiti.
6: We were out doing mobile medical clinics after the... Uh, the... The earthquake in Haiti, um, all of these people poured out of Port-au-Prince and were displaced and they were in filth, Mm -hmm. living in horrific tent cities. So we were out serving them, doing mobile clinics. It was so hot. It was 115 plus degrees Mm -hmm. and we were all split up. And so I was with a Haitian doctor and a nurse's best friend on the field is a Sharpie marker. Mm -hmm. And I use it for everything. I use it to mark all kinds of things the most important thing is to draw on the syringe where the mom can pull up the medicine. I show her, I draw a circle so -hmm. I can show her how much medicine to give her child. Well, it was so hot and I'd used my Sharpie so much that it ran out and Mm -hmm. wasn't working anymore. And I tried to look for another Sharpie. Usually I bring a bunch, but I had gone through them all, found no Sharpie. It was clogging up the whole thing, slowing me down. I tried to use a pen, that doesn't work on a syringe. Mm -hmm. I was so frustrated, I'm like, Lord, all these people are here, I'm clogging this up. There was mm-hmm. hundreds of people. And I, I was like, Lord, I need a Sharpie. I'm out in the middle of absolutely nowhere. How, How is God gonna bring me a Sharpie? Mm-hmm. So I looked, I tried in my own strength to find all the ways. And finally I thought, okay, I guess I'll pray. But honestly, I had a mustard seed faith. I'm like, how's God gonna bring me a Sharpie? So I said, Lord, I don't even know how you're gonna do it, but I really need a Sharpie. Mm-hmm. And then I went about my business, honestly not believing that prayer would be answered. Mm -hmm. Literally five minutes later, a truck pulls up out of nowhere. It happened to be a donor who is given to the project and he had given specifically to the mobile medical. I had no heads up that he was coming. Mm -hmm. They were driving him around to see. And he came up, he goes, look at all these people. This is fabulous. Had me explain what was going on. He said, well, I can see you're busy, I'm gonna go. And I said, okay, thanks. He goes, do you need anything before you go? And I laughed and I said, oh yeah, I need a Sharpie. And he goes, oh, here. He reached <laughs> inside of his vest and pulled out a Sharpie marker. Within five minutes of me praying a prayer mm-hmm. out in the middle of nowhere, mm-hmm. God showed off and mm-hmm. sh- brought me a Sharpie marker. Mm-hmm. So ever since then, I say so many times I've thrown up big prayers. Mm-hmm. God, I need you, I need you, I'm on my knees praying. And other times I throw up a Sharpie sized prayer.
1: Mm-hmm. Prayer is so important. It's how God draws us to Himself through His Word. It is vital. And I mentioned earlier that prayer is the intersection of surrender and celebration. No matter what our circumstances are, we can put our hope in the Lord. David Great gave a great example in his, when his circumstances were dire. Many of his people had been killed. He was running for his life, yet he prayed these words in Psalm 52, 8 and 9. But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. I will praise you forever because you have done it. And in the presence of your saints, I will wait on your name, for it is good. Here are some scriptures that some of our staff members pray.
2: So many people have heard Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, but it's really on my heart. Trust in the Lord. With all your heart, lean not in your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your steps. So that's my prayer.
4: The scripture that comes to mind i i wrote it I wrote the reference down. The scripture that they inspired me with was First Thessalonians five seventeen, which is simple, very simple. Pray without ceasing. Pray constantly. Pray in the impossible times. Praise. Again, don't ever forget to praise God with the same urgency and with the same fervor that you petition him with.
3: Throughout scripture, we always uh, see men and women crying
0: to the Lord, seeking his counsel through prayer. But we have the biggest and best model of all Jesus, as he cried to his father. In Hebrews 5, he talks to His Father and during, I want to read this, it's chapter 5 from Hebrews, and it talks about how Jesus comes to the Father. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, He offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the One who can save Him from death, and He was heard because of His reverent submission. That's a beautiful illustration of a Father and Son relationship.
1: I hope that this encourages you to lean on God and pray to God with big prayers, Sharpie-sized prayers, in all the mountains that you're facing in your lives. Let's be honest, 2020 has proven that we are not in control. There are so many hardships and circumstances out of our control. And praying may not change our circumstances, but it will change our hearts, giving us receptive and soft hearts to see His character in our situation. Proverbs 16.3 says, The preparations of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. We do the possible, and we trust God with the impossible each and every day. I hope this encourages you in your daily life and as well as your prayers for the ministry of Samaritan's Purse. Please continue to pray for the ministry. We recently sent a COVID-19 hospital to the Bahamas and people are working all over the world in Jesus' name. Thank you again for your prayers and for your support. We appreciate you so much. Have a great week.
3: Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts.
1: And forgive us our debts.
3: As we forgive our debtors.
5: As we forgive our debtors.
3: And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom,
4: thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory,
0: forever, forever,
6: forever.
0: Amen. Amen.